Easter, everyone. Happy, happy Resurrection Day. You know, it's the best day of the year for Christians because nations rise and fall and leaders come and go, live and die. But the Church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years now has marched forth in triumphant victory because of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It's the best day of the year, and we're privileged to have you join us today. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us online as well as we celebrate the historical fact that Jesus rose from the grave and that he's alive. And today I want to share with you from the very first sermon ever preached in the early church. The preacher was Peter. The place was Jerusalem. And the theme was the resurrection of Christ. And what I want you to notice today as we look at these verses is four ways that the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. Now, Peter preached this sermon in response to something specific that had taken place in Jerusalem. It was the Feast of Pentecost that happens every year, 50 days, Pente, 50 days after Passover. And there were hundreds of thousands of people that had come and gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world of that day. From every language group, from every people group where Judaism had spread, they'd come to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. The apostles and that first band of disciples had been holding a 10-day prayer meeting in the upper room in Jerusalem when a mighty rushing wind that says an axe to swept through the room. And they spilled outside themselves. They went outside into the marketplace and into the temple grounds where there was this huge crowd gathered for Pentecost. And they began proclaiming the glory of God in languages that they didn't even know. And the people that were there from all over the world were like, wait a minute, we can understand you, what you're saying, you're speaking our language, our native languages fluently, what in the world is going on here? And so Peter stepped forward and he answered that question. He gives this amazing message we're looking at today in Acts 2. And again, here's what I want you to see. If you haven't already, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. You might grab your sermon notes or open them up on your your app on the Lake City device, on the Lake City app. And we're going to see, first of all, that the resurrection gives us hope because it reminds us that God has a sovereign plan. That God has a sovereign plan. So we're looking mostly at the second half of this sermon, but I want to set the stage just a bit more. I want to go back to verse 14 where the sermon begins and read a few verses there. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So Peter begins by saying, you know, all of this praise, all of these languages that you're hearing, this joyful worship, it's not because of too much wine. After all, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, but this is the arrival of God's spirit to dwell in his people, just like the prophet Joel foretold some 800 years before that. It was the dawning of a brand new age, the last days in which God would bring to completion his plan of salvation. Jesus had completed the great work of redemption. And so now Peter is inviting the world 
to get in on it. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter preached. That's verse 21. And that brings us to the part I want to focus on today. That's beginning at verse 22. Let me read a couple of verses there. Men of Israel, Peter continued, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And what Peter was reminding them, saying to them, but reminding us as well today, is that God has a predetermined plan, a sovereign plan about how things are going to work out in the world we live in. Listen, friend, I want you to take great comfort in that truth today. Because you and I don't know the future. Even though we try to look into the future and predict what's coming, you know, some of us even have some fear and anxiety about what's ahead. And there's worry about how the future might treat us. Sometimes we try to foresee what the next season of life is going to look like. For some, that's, you know, who will I marry? Or will we have kids? Where will I find a good job? Uh, will there be enough to retire on? What about all this COVID stuff that's going on? Or what about the vaccine? Or what's going to happen in our country? And on and on it goes. We think about and ponder all these things about the future. What's coming next? But the truth is, none of us knows what the future holds. We don't even know how the rest of today is going to unfold, much less tomorrow, right? And yet God knows it all. He knows tomorrow as clearly as you and I know yesterday. In fact, far better. So here's what I want you to know. You don't need to know tomorrow. You just need to know the one who does. Listen, beloved, take comfort in this. God has a sovereign plan. And even though sometimes things seem out of control or look a little chaotic... The rest of it is, but God. And he not only knows what is coming, he has a definite plan. Again, Peter's point is that Christ was delivered over to death because there was this predetermined plan that God had. You remember man rebelled in the garden, sin entered the world, but God had a predetermined plan to resolve that problem, which is why he sent Jesus, of course. And sometimes people sort of look at the death of Christ and I think think to themselves, you know, it looks like things just spun out of control. Not at all. That's not the case at all. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was all part of God's perfect plan. In fact, Peter, the same one who's preaching this sermon we're looking at, he would later write this in one of his letters. Peter said, God paid a ransom to save you. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was this precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. It's an amazing thing. Jesus gave his life. He laid it down as a sinless sacrifice to pay for our sin. And that was the predetermined plan of God before he even created the world. 
Now, God gave dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And God predicted just how our Lord would come into the world, how he would live, how he would die and be buried and rise again. And I love the way that Isaiah puts it. God, through Isaiah, said these words. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. That's beautiful. God had a predetermined plan and he declared it to us from the beginning. That's the first way the resurrection gives hope to us today. It reminds us about God's sovereign plan. Here's the second way. It also means that we don't need to fear death. There's no need to be afraid of dying. Amen. So most people are afraid of dying, I've found out, especially people without a hope in Christ. And I get it. Death is a fearful thing for many reasons. But I want you to notice what Peter says here in verse 24. Peter said next, God raised him up, loosing the pangs, the bonds of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And what Pastor Peter was saying is that Jesus conquered death. The grave could not hold him. It was impossible. Listen, beloved, death was defeated through the resurrection of Christ. And that means you and I no longer need to be afraid of death. So question, why was it impossible for death to maintain a hold on Christ? Several reasons. One is because of his divine power. The power of Christ is far greater than the power of death. In fact, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the source of life. He is life. He has power, great power, even over death. And second, because of God's predetermined plan. God had already determined to raise Christ from the dead and that his resurrection would be the prototype for us, for, in fact, all who would be raised in the future. In other words, he didn't just overcome death for himself, but he did that for us as well, all who believe in him. The Bible uses the word first fruits for that. He is our first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we read about that. Paul put it like this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits or the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. It's begun. In other words, Christ started it, but it's to all who believe in him. It's for all. He's our first fruits. So do you realize, think about this, Jesus died on Passover, the feast of Passover, the very day that the, that the priest would be sacrificing the perfect lamb for the Passover feast. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead on the feast of first fruits. And listen, that was no coincidence. Jesus fulfilled both of those Jewish feasts to the letter because he is our Passover and he is our first fruits. In other words, he made the way for us to be raised again after death as well. Just yesterday, uh, I love to listen to Amir Sarfati on his podcast. And 
he did a teaching just yesterday on just this one point, a whole sermon on first fruits and the resurrection. And I would encourage you to go to beholdisrael.org sometime this week. I, I don't think it's posted yet, but that would be a great sermon to listen to this week about this whole first fruits concept and how the resurrection fits into that. But that's why if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, there is no reason at all to be afraid of death. By the way, this promise about not fearing death, this only applies to Christians. Okay, so if you aren't a Christian, if you haven't received the forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ, I also want you to know you should fear death big time. Okay, I'm just being honest with you, not trying to be crass. If you're not a Christian, you are only one heartbeat away from hell. That's what the Bible says. Because a day of accounting is coming. The Bible says this in Hebrews 9. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So after you and I die, we're going to be held accountable at a time of judgment. If you've trusted Christ, you go to heaven. But for those who have rejected Christ, the day of judgment isn't a positive thing at all. It's only the expectation of hell. But my point here is this. For the Christian, death is now different. The resurrection has changed everything. Praise his name. We will receive a resurrection body that will never die because death was swallowed up in victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that takes the fear out of death. Here's the third result of the resurrection I want you to ponder with me today. The resurrection proves that we can also trust the word of God. That we can trust God's word. And Peter explains that by that how, how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy by quoting from Psalm 16. So listen now as I continue reading Peter's sermon at verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So apparently Peter was standing in the temple area in Jerusalem and we're from and from that place you can look out and you can see the place where David's tomb was nearby. And so when Peter spoke of David's tomb, he, I'm guessing he sort of motioned to it, pointed at it maybe. But here's the question. Peter quoted David, but who was David speaking of when he wrote Psalm 16? Because David wrote this, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Listen, here's the point. David's bones were still in his tomb, short distance away in Jerusalem. So this prophecy had to be about somebody else. That's what Peter was saying. Let's continue verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, 
that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. What's that all about? He's saying David made a prediction in Psalm 16, but that's really a, a messianic prophecy. And Peter's argument was irrefutable. He says, David referred to the resurrection of someone, but it can't be himself that he was talking about because David's tomb was nearby. But everyone knew that the Messiah would come out of the line of King David. And Jesus did. His mother and his father, both Joseph and Mary, were of the royal family of King David. And then Peter goes on and he quotes from another messianic psalm, from Psalm 110. That's what the next few verses are about. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to take time with those today. You can read those on your own. But what I want you to see is this. Peter made this iron-clad case. He's saying, we know that Jesus is the Messiah and his resurrection from the dead is the main proof that he is. And then, having said that, Peter comes now to this conclusion, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. All right, I want to pause here. Before we go on, I want to draw an important lesson from what Peter just said. You see, the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled give undeniable proof that we can absolutely trust the Word of God. Listen, I'm glad the Bible tells us so much about what's coming in the future. I'm glad nearly 30% of God's Word is prophetic. When God tells us stuff in advance, we call that Bible prophecy, and it's intended to bring us comfort, to be encouraging and comforting to us. Listen, I want to know what's coming ahead, don't you? God wants us to know where we're going and he wants us to understand what's ahead. And In fact, that's one of the big reasons he's given us his word. And so sometimes when we're driving down the road, if I'm not sure where I'm going, I, I, I use one of those little apps that are so cool that tell us everything, you know, maps and other, other kinds of things. And uh, <clears throat> the one that I... typically like to use is called Waze, and I know some of some of you like that one as well. By the way, it was created by the Israeli Defense Forces along with some researchers down at Stanford, but that's another story for another day. But anyway, uh, one of the things I like about Waze is all the notifications that it gives you while you're driving along, things like car on the side of the road a mile ahead or debris in the road uh, half a mile ahead or whatever, and uh, the one that says police officer a mile ahead on the right, that's for all of you sinners, okay? But, but it tells us what's coming, right? Don't you appreciate that? Listen, here's the app for life. This is it right here. It tells us what's coming ahead. It tells us what's next, and we need that. Remember how after rising from the grave, Jesus appeared to many different people in many different settings over a number of days, over 500 over those days before his ascension. And one of those appearances was to two men who were walking to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. 
And somehow as they were walking along, Jesus and these two men, Jesus hid his identity from them. And so they were talking and describing what had happened in Jerusalem and how Jesus had been crucified, that they hoped that he was going to be the Messiah, and how some of their friends, these women, went to the tomb and found it empty. He was alive again, and they were wrestling with that. And you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus went on and he explained all of the Old Testament prophecies, the various passages that pointed out his death and resurrection. Man, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to be part of that conversation, wouldn't you? And again, my point is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that we can absolutely trust God's word. In fact, everything rises or falls with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Everything. If Jesus is dead, our faith is dead. If Jesus is dead, our hope is dead. In fact, if Jesus is dead, Christianity is dead. But it's not dead and we are not doomed to death because Jesus is alive just as he predicted. Amen? Well, it's not my purpose this morning to go into those specific prophecies any more than we already have. But if you have questions about that, there are so many good books written about that. And one of them is this little one called The Resurrection and You. It's by Josh McDowell and his son, Sean. And we've actually ordered a bunch of them, and they're a gift for you. All of our guests today, we've ordered some for you, and you can pick them up out at the Welcome Center on your way out today. But again, all of these prophecies about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were fulfilled, all of them, 100% in every detail. And I love how that reminds us how trustworthy God's Word is. Listen, when God says something, you can count on it. He will do it. Listen again to what God said through the prophet Isaiah. He said, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Listen, when God predicts something a thousand years ahead of time and then it comes to pass... When God prophesies something 3,000 years ago and it's perfectly fulfilled, that proves just how trustworthy the scriptures are. Well, that's the Old Testament you might be thinking to yourself, but Jesus said the same thing, essentially. This is what he said to his disciples the night before his death. He said, I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. Well, that brings us to the final way the resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection reminds us that God has a sovereign plan. It means we don't have to fear death any longer. It proves that we can trust God's word. And fourth, the resurrection is how we receive the forgiveness of sins. So listen to how Peter concludes his sermon, verse 36 and 37. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? When Peter said those words, 
to those that were listening to him in Jerusalem, you know, he was speaking to many people who weren't even in Jerusalem 50 days earlier when Christ was crucified. But he still spoke to them of their responsibility for the death of Jesus. Why? And the answer is because all mankind is responsible. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. I know I am. The Bible says you are as too because it says all have sinned. And it also says all of us need God's forgiveness. And so the question, logical question is, what shall we do? Just like they asked Peter, what shall we do? Here's Peter's answer, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to pause for just a minute because over the years this verse has been misused by some to try to prove that baptism is required for salvation. And I will admit that a quick reading of it, in fact, sounds that way. It says, Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. However, there are many more passages in the Bible that prove that baptism was not, is not required for salvation. We could look at them. We don't have time. One of them, though, I just want to mention in passing is what Jesus said to the thief on the cross next to him when he died. He put his faith in Jesus, indicated faith, and Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. No chance for baptism. As far as this verse goes, that word for can be translated in different ways. The Greek word, that preposition, is much like the English preposition for. It can mean in order to become, or it can mean because of. And I think because of is the better translation here in this verse. Let me illustrate. If a soldier was decorated for bravery, if I say that a soldier was decorated for bravery, do I mean the soldier was decorated in order to become brave or because he was brave? Well, because he was brave, obviously, and that's the, the sense of the word for here. We're baptized because we are saved, not in order to be saved. Okay, repent and demonstrate your faith by being baptized for everyone else to see. Let me continue now, verse 39. Peter says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. By the way, we are the all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine being part of that kind of revival, that, that, that uh, event? What a powerful, powerful sermon. 3,000 people responded in faith to Jesus Christ and were baptized and the church of Jesus Christ was born. And I want to close by asking you this question today. Have you ever opened yourself up to who Jesus presents himself to be? Are you open to his claim that he is God and that he died for your sins? Because if that is true, and I believe it is, it means that we have a decision to make. 
See, the Bible says it's not enough just to understand it, just to have intellectual understanding. But we have a decision, a response that we need to make to that truth. Some people receive him by faith, put their faith in him, and some people reject him and say, no, thank you. Rejecting the best gift ever offered to them. Paul says this in Romans 6.23. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like receiving a very valuable gift and taking it all wrapped up still and setting it down on the table and not even opening it up. Anyone who understood the value of the gift would never think of doing that, but many do that with Christ and his free gift of forgiveness. I want you to think about that as I talk now about some application. I have four next steps for you to ponder with me today, and the first one is this. I will get answers for my questions. It's not uncommon for people to have sincere questions about who Jesus is or about the resurrection of Christ or something else altogether. What I'm saying is those questions deserve answers. And for that reason, I want to encourage you today, if you have questions, don't set them aside, so to speak, but pursue them with all of your heart. Please pursue getting answers for your questions. Please talk to somebody that you trust. Please reach out to somebody here, one of our pastors on staff. You can, in fact, write on the back of your card, there's a little box that says discussing spiritual decisions. The same thing is on the digital connect card. You can just mark that there and we'll see that and reach out to you. But we would love to help answer any questions you have. Another good response is to read one of the many books that have been written about the resurrection of Christ, including the one that we have provided today as a gift to you. Next step, number two, I will learn what God says is coming next. I'll learn about what's coming next. When we, again, we call that prophecy. About 28% of the Bible is prophetic. Is God telling us what's coming before it happened. And again, it reminds us that God has a predetermined plan. He's laid it all out for us in the Bible. And the problem is many people don't really understand what's coming. And that's so sad because that leads to unnecessary fear and anxiety. And that's why I'm offering a seven-week Bible study starting in May about Bible prophecy and what the Bible says is coming next on God's prophetic calendar. And the Bible study is going to be called Rapture, the Blessed Hope of Believers. It's a Thursday night Bible study starting May 6th for just seven weeks. And if, if you don't have something else you're already doing on Thursday night, I invite you to come and be part of it right here, okay? Uh, if you want a reminder, if you write Rapture Bible Study on your card and make sure we have an active uh, email for you, we'll send you a reminder even and let you know that it's coming and uh, when exactly it starts. Listen, God gave us prophecy for our comfort and encouragement after teaching about the rapture of the church, in fact, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. All right, next step number three is I will trust that God has a plan for my life. Sometimes when painful things happen, we sort of question God or we have doubts about his promises or what his word says. But one of the big points that Peter made in this sermon we just looked at is that God has a sovereign plan. 
and that God's predetermined plan is for all of us. And that, what that means is that we don't need to fear the future. We just need to trust the one who holds the future in his hands. The best way I know to grow in our faith in God is to seek him by getting to know what he said in his word. Getting into his word, getting to know, getting close to others who understand his word and believe his word as well is helpful. And then finally, next step number four is this. I will receive Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Friend, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your own personal savior, that's the place to start today. Because without his forgiveness, there really is good reason to be afraid about the future. And as I close here in just a minute, I'm going to give an opportunity today for you to pray and invite Jesus Christ into your life and to ask him to forgive you for your sins. Because that's the starting point for everyone spiritually. Friend, Jesus Christ is alive and he's living today. And the most logical response to that reality is to repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can do that simply by talking to him. By, we call that prayer. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me now. And if you want to receive Christ as your own personal Savior, bow with me, please. Father God, we thank you for your predetermined plan, how you lined things out from before the beginning of the world. And thank you that that included sending Jesus to die on the cross to take our sins upon himself. But not that he just died, but that he rose again and conquered sin and death. Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that he offers freely to all who believe in him this gift of eternal life. And friend, if you're here, if you're listening online and you've never received God's gift to you, I want to invite you to receive it today. Just in your heart of hearts, you can pray silently and say something like this. Say, Father, I need your forgiveness today. I admit that I've sinned against you. I've broken your commands. And today, right now, I may not understand everything, but I understand you're offering me the gift of forgiveness and I receive it. I invite Jesus into my life to take over and to help me live for him. Father, we thank you for that wonderful gift. We thank you for your sovereign plan and that you are working things out perfectly. Including the fact we don't have to fear death because you are absolutely trustworthy. Your word is true. And we thank you for that. God, we pray these things in the matchless, resurrected name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. One more thing I'm going to ask you to do before I sit down. If you would, if you're in the room, please take this card. Hopefully you've already started filling it out. If you're on your app, you can do it on your app as well. So on, on the card or on your app online, I'm going to ask you to finish filling this out right now. Every Easter, we sort of like to get an, an update from you and from our guests that are with us. We want to know that we have your current data so we can get in touch with you and send you our, our weekly emails. And we also would like to know just kind of how you're thinking and how you're responding to this great resurrection uh, truth that you heard today. And so in the upper right-hand corner, 
or on the comment section on the digital online card. I'm going to ask you to put an A, B, C, or D, your response today. And the A means I've already received Christ, A for already. If you write a B, that means I'm believing today. In other words, I just prayed that prayer to put my faith in Jesus. If that's you, put, put a B, please. The C stands for I'm considering it. So I've got questions maybe, or I'm thinking about it. I'm not quite there. Just, if that's you, just put a C. I would love to pray for you. If you have questions, I'd love to help answer those. And then D stands for I don't think I ever will believe. Just being honest, that's where, what I'm thinking today. I don't think I ever will. We'd just like to know what you're thinking and how we can pray for you. And uh, if we can help at all, please reach out to us and, and let us know. Again, if, if you've already received Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, you don't need to do that over and over again. But perhaps you do need to get connected and sort of take that next step in your spiritual journey. So if you don't have a church home, we just want to invite you to uh, come back to be with us. Or if you're online, you're getting ready to come back, we'd love you to come back and be part of our church here at Lake City. Connect with the body of Christ here. Get involved in a study and grow in your faith. We'd love that. So God bless you. Thanks for the chance to preach to you today.